0: listening to PZ's podcast, a guided tour of ancient truths and absurd tales for the modern pilgrim. PZ is space cruising at low altitudes most days through a galaxy of phantom planets of the mind, ever in search of an answer to his wound. Is he a space Parsifal bleeding under his suit, but hopeful for journey's end? Buckle up and join him now as he blasts by Mars and Venus, rounding Luna in sure and certain hope of our childhood's end you can reach pz while he is on this quest at pz's podcast at gmail.com now here's pz This is podcast 102, and it's a two-part invention, which is to say it's a two-parter entitled Flowers for Algernon. It seeks to go a little further in the direction of the 100th, which was titled Eternity, and to talk a little bit more about the actual question of the death of the ego or the death of the self in life, that is to say in physical life, in this world. I'm going to try to follow through on some of the uh, emotional and uh, personal um, feelings and experiences associated with this uh, um, death of the ego, which is more than just a symbolic, uh, but is actually something to be earnestly, uh, or hopefully, or seriously, uh, with tongue-in-cheek. Remember Kerouac's wonderful um, slight parody on Buddhism, which he admired so. And he said at one point, after saying, nothing is everything, and everything is nothing, and black is white, and white is black, the usual kind of breaking down of distinctions in Buddhism. And he said, and isn't this delightful baloney? no matter how thin you slice it? Well, it's not delightful baloney, but you can call it delightful baloney." But I'm really talking about... Um, Something that is is to be grasped now, as opposed to um, beyond the grave. And the um, uh, text for the podcasts will arise from the works of Algernon Blackwood. Algernon Blackwood, uh, certainly a personal fave of PZ for decades and decades since really earliest childhood, is now an author I uh, value more than ever for all his unusual and, you might say, overly prolific output, Algernon Blackwood is someone I value. And in podcast 102, Flowers for Algernon 1, I'm going to talk a little bit about him and his life, and especially about his relationship to Christianity, which is extremely interesting and very apposite, and really um, quite... Uh, Quite remarkable in a sort of Philip Larkin, but not Philip Larkin manner. Something very important going on here. And then in Flowers for Algernon 2 I'll talk about the very positive views that Blackwood seemed to receive at the height of his maturity of thinking. He lived a long time, and he had a kind of remaking in the 40s after World War II. And I'm going to talk a little bit about two stories from 1911 and 1914, one entitled The Centaur, which is a novella, really a novel, and one entitled A Descent into Egypt, which is an astonishing short story. Uh, This is all in service of freeing and emancipating and uh, coming into a less attached and yet ultimately um, more loving persona and temperamental attitude, you might say. And uh, the text for the sermon is from Algernon Blackwood. Well, if you read books about supernatural fiction, what is today sometimes called The Weird Tale, used to be called Ghost Stories, but that's a broader denomination of this, what is called the weird tale or stories of supernatural horror impinging on the human world and creating both a frisson and a fascinating kind of paradigm or mythology. The three names that come to you from the early uh, 20th century right through to mid-century are H.P. Lovecraft, Arthur Machen and Algernon Blackwood, and this is very interesting to me. I'm, I'm really very interested in this material, and I hope I can convey to you a little bit of the interest. The most famous of these, uh, several of whose stories have been made into movies, and right up to this very moment, um, H.P. or Howard P. Lovecraft, is not the one I'm interested in. I find a, a deep... Um, um, in the negative sense of the word, nihilistic uh, sense, in a number of his um, great stories. Um, the Mountains of Madness is a masterpiece, and there are many others, and this is a whole other podcast. But I find there's a darkness uh, and a hopelessness or a despair or a lack of a lack of love of, 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 of us, of, of the human race and all its suffering in his stories. I was once interviewed for a job in his house, in Providence, Rhode Island, the actual house in which Howard P. Lovecraft, um, wrote many of his stories, most of his stories. He's a very odd duck and there's a lot to be said about Lovecraft, but I was actually interviewed for a job and I should have, I knew it. I knew about the house and the people who owned the house and who were interviewing me were either uninterested or really almost contemptuous of the, um, sort of glitz surrounding this, uh, now very famous person, but at that time not so famous. And, um, I brought it up, and it was not uh, happily received by the owner of the house. And I just shouldn't have had the interview there, to be honest with you. But I didn't have the guts at that point to say, couldn't we have this at a hotel? Or, you know, I'm a little weird, but th- that wouldn't do. And needless to say, I didn't get the job big time. Um, Howard Lovecraft uh, spoke, however, in his book on supernatural fiction and literature by Dover Paperback. It's a very good book. Lovecraft spoke about the. Uh, sort of three people who had had a tremendous influence on him. Um, one was a man named Lord Dunsany, whose uh, work is highly regarded by amateurs of, um, of the genre. I find I cannot get into it. I've tried for years to understand Lord Dunsany, and I just can't uh, get into it. I leave you to do that. But the two that he did mention uh, were of, always of interest to me, partly because of their religion, were Arthur Machen— M as in man, A-C-H-E-N, like Gresham Machen, the theologian, <laughs> and uh, Algernon Blackwood. And these two authors, let me tell you about them. For years, Machen was my favorite one of the two, and I tanned it, although I liked Blackwood's, I-, I thought he wrote very well, because of the religious aspect. I, I avoided Blackwood, and I um, elevated Machen. Now, partly because my views have... Um, undergone a little bit of a change just because of life experience. I tend to elevate Blackwood over Machen rather than the other way around. But let me say what's interesting about each of them and why they are both worthy of your study. Arthur Machen was the son of a high church Anglican clergyman who uh, spent his entire ministry in Carleon, or Caerwent, right next to it, two ancient Roman cities in South uh, East Wales. I've been to them with Mary and our family twice. We've been to Machen Country and uh, in South East Wales. And Machen was a devout Christian all his life, and a High Church one, and of character. He, uh, just to see a photograph of him. He was an absolute character, and he was a brilliant writer. His most famous stories are um, The Great God Pan and The White People, although he also wrote an apocalyptic novel of World War I, which is fabulous about the animals uh, rising up in arms against uh, humanity in England. It's entitled The Terror because because the animals have been suddenly tainted by the hatred existing in humanity through World War I. And on the home front, the animals rise up, all animals rise up uh, and murder people. It's an extraordinary story and rather touching and rather powerful pacifist tale called The Terror. And he wrote a whole bunch of other uh, ones, The Three Impostors, and there are many. He wrote a great deal. But the two stories that are most uh, famous are stories of the occult and the, uh, the, the, the invasion into the regular human world of deep, dark, and truly demonic, devilish forces. Uh, they take the form of a kind of eternally changing, uh, of a seductive woman who is actually the bearer of a demonic force. Um, in a, There's a sexual undertone that is striking and very deeply troubling when you find, finally figure out what it is. But this was a Victorian man who never stated what he actually meant although it's definitely the the back story and the great god Pan but in his stories good always triumphs over evil rightly so I'm delighted to say and uh, it's usually a kind of good associated with good capital G and uh, another very great story the second one is called The White People and it's about um, a a little girl and in her own little kind of uh, language of sort of eight years old or even more like six years old she describes um, a dreadful invasion of a devilish, demonic figure in Wales uh, that her uh, nanny, uh, her governess, introduces her to. And there's a very strong sexual undercurrent and um, of uh, the, all expressed in this kind of childlike language that almost has a code all of its own. And when you finally realize what happens, and believe it or not, the ancient Romans come into it, who Machen was interested in, It's one of the most horrifying, uh, subtle uh, tales ever read, and it will never date. It will always be horrifying and subtle, and it's called The White People. Strange title. Finally, uh, Machen, being a devout Christian, wrote a story which you've got to read, especially those of you who are interested in Episcopalian things and churchmanship matters, called The Great Return, in which the Holy Grail is mystically returned in a kind of caravan of pink and uh, scarlet light, a kind of epiphany of returning of the Holy Grail to um, the western coast of Wales. And the vision of the Holy Grail, and it is in fact the Holy Grail of Christ, The vision is vouchsafed uh, to an evangelical low church rector and um, there's an extraordinary scene in which the low church evangelical Simeonite rector um, defends uh, the epiphany and vision he's had yet without giving up his low churchmanship Machen was trying to show here that the, the, great, the greatest truths of religion cut across all uh, denominations or all schools of thought and so when the uh, low church emphatically low church clergyman describes his vision of the um, Holy Grail and then it is followed by the reception of the Holy Grail by a, a Methodist, uh, and even further to the left in churchmanship-wise, conventicle of dissenting Christians, nonconformist sort of primitive Methodist, or primitive Baptist uh, lay people, very unlettered people in a chapel in Western Wales who actually receive the grail and worship it and yet remain just as Pentecostal and dissenting and silas Marnerish as could be imagined. Well, that story, if you're interested in churchmanship issues in the 19th century, that'll curl your hair, and it's very touching. It's a very faith-affirming story. But uh, what I found about Machen... Um, that there is a very strong dualism in it, which is something really to think about. And uh, he writes extremely evocatively and vividly. And also he uh, carries these um, subtle pictures of demonic um, intercourse in human relationships. But without ever actually stating it, he summons up images which do in fact benefit from their being uh, elliptical. Now... Blackwood was writing a little bit later. And let me tell you about Algernon Blackwood, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about his religion and one story he wrote. And I'll try to finish this in 30 minutes, which is the new way. I I like to do this in 30 minutes if possible. And incidentally, if you think about it, go on the Mockingbird blog for today, which I believe is the uh, Tuesday, the 24th of April 2012. And under the blurbs on podcast 101 and 100, at the very bottom of the blurbs in that little piece on the Mockingbird blog, which you know what it is, www.mbird.com, go on it. And at the very bottom, um, the uh, editors at Mockingbird have put on the address that I gave a week ago in New York City at the Mockingbird conference on sort of the history, uh, the hopes, and the future of PZ's podcast. It's a short little kind of um, summary of what the podcast is a Tempting to think about. And uh, that is uh, is on a recording on the Mockingbird blog for today, the 24th. Now, uh, Algernon Blackwood is a fascinating character, and uh, uh, his religion is the most interesting part of it to me, and hopefully, possibly to you, and certainly in relation to his work. He was born in 1869 and died in 1951, and incidentally, his house in London was uh, uh, completely destroyed by a German bomb during the Blitz. It's one of these situations where he got out, and the house was completely destroyed by a direct hit, and all his papers and all his things and all his life went up in flames in a night during the Great Blitz on London, and he survived it. And he then later became a well-known figure because he would read sort of ghost stories to children and very often just regular children's stories. He had come out of a a highly educated, upper-middle-class professional background. And I think his mother may have been a titled person in England. And his uh, accent was... He was dear. Matter of fact, um, the Starlight Express, the musical, is based on a book that Algernon Blackwood wrote because he loved children. And... uh, He became sort of a figure for children before he died in 1951, but in the early years, he um, grew up in London, and uh, uh, I'll tell you why he left. He, he left England and went to Canada and went to the Far West and went uh, all over America and was in um, New York City for a time and was a reporter for the New York Times. And like a lot of these writers who later find their calling, he, kind of, he was a real nonconformist, and he went from one thing to another. He was also interested always in the occult. We'll find out why. And he is supposedly to have been connected with Aleister Crowley, the famous occultist, English occultist, who... Um, Curse of the Demon Night of the Demon was about that wonderful movie from the 50s and uh yeah he was interested in occult matters and yet he uh, produced a body of fiction which is highly optimistic ultimately very positive, and he did not remain in any sense in a satanic cult, nothing of that. Uh, it is, in fact, quite the opposite. He became what we might today say is a Christian-oriented theosophist, but these words have nothing to do with it because he changed all the time, and he, he, uh, his great works uh, uh, cannot really be categorized, but I'll explain them in a minute. He came back to England and began to write in London, and he produced an astonishing... Once he sort of got himself together in his sort of, uh, oh, let's say his 30s and 40s, he began to turn out a tremendous number of stories with supernatural and fantastic themes, including some that are uh, fantastic without being supernatural. We would call them uh, fantasy. And he wrote, until the day he died, and wrote some wonderful things. He wrote so many short stories that he could never remember how many he'd written. And most of the later anthologies you'll find of his work are collections of stories that were written 20 and 30 years before. (laughs) But... He produced a number of very famous stories, his most famous story uh, that is now sort of kind of boring because it's been anthologized so much, and it it is in fact a little boring. It's called The Willows, and I could talk about that, but I won't. He produced a series of stories about a kind of occult, and don't misunderstand the word. What I mean is kind of a supernaturalist detective who's sort of sensitive to issues of of negativity in the vibes, whether it's devilish and sometimes is demon worship like, you know, Manly Wade Wellman, a a, a very positive view, always trying to heal and to help and to cure of people who were surrounded by these terrible demonic forces. And he produced in 1908 a series of stories about a a, – let's call him a supernaturalist detective named John Silence – And these have now been published in Dover. You can get them all. They're outstanding. And two of them, are among his most famous stories. One is called "Ancient Sorceries," uh, which is uh, about a man who finds himself through a very strange, uh, kind of a missed train in a modern day. In uh, actually, it's like 1908. A missed train connection in France. He finds himself in a little town that is actually and completely possessed by witches who train themselves, uh, uh, transform themselves into cats. And uh, um, there's a great line where he's being warned to. to, 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 to to, uh, not to get off the train, and he can't understand what the Frenchman is telling him, and the Frenchman is very emphatic in trying to tell him something and Finally, through the window through the closed window, um the hero thinks he hears the man saying, "You shouldn't get off at this village à cause des chats et du sommeil." You shouldn't get off here because of the cats and because of the sleep. Well, that's, that produces, that that's for sure. And Ancient Sorceries is probably his second most famous story, the third being something called The Wendigo, about kind of, a kind of demon in Canada way up north, and uh, that's been made into two movies. And then one on, which I think is the most interesting, because it relates very positively to the Protestant Christianity in which um, Algernon Blackwood was brought up. This story, also around 1908, 1910, is called Secret Worship. And it's about a young man who, like Blackwood historically, is sent to a um, Moravian school a boarding school in the Black Forest, a Moravian boarding school. You know Moravians connected with uh, Count von Sinsendorf and whose center is still in Herrenhut near Czechoslovakia in what was formerly East Germany, and that's a whole other story. We almost sent one of our children to this school. It still exists, and it's one of the best uh, internat or boarding schools in in Germany. It's a famous and wonderful, liberal in the best sense and religious in the best sense, Protestant boarding school. But in any event, he wrote a story about uh, a very loving story about this school, but which sadly has been taken over by one master who's a worshiper of the devil, and John Silence comes into it. Well, I'm telling you more than you need to know. But the um, uh, most interesting stories uh, to me are uh, a novella called The Centaur which I'll talk about in Flowers for Algernon, too. And trust me, if, you, if I may say that, that there's a, a reason for this, that, that we're going to talk again about the death of the self, that wonderful quotation from Huxley that I've gotten wonderful emails from you, by the way. Um, Remember, PZ's podcast at com. I've gotten fabulous emails, a ton of them recently, relevant to Podcast 100 and the nature of the ego and that wonderful quote from Huxley in The Genius and the Goddess about, quote, Helen, the character who had given up herself such that when she actually came to die physically, there was no cost to pay. Well, um, this is absolutely what Algernon Blackwood is talking about in his greatest stories, which appear in a book called Incredible Adventures from 1914 and also in The Centaur, 1911. I have the extraordinary good um, fortune of holding in my hand a copy of Incredible Adventures because a wonderful man named John Harris Harper, a clergyman, Knowing that I like this material bought for me from Jim Reed's books in Birmingham an original copy of the book Incredible Adventures where um, the craftsmanship and the depth and the real ability to create a horrifying atmosphere that Algernon Blackwood was the master of comes to its finest hour. And we'll talk about The Centaur and A Descent into Egypt, which is from Incredible Adventures. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the reason for Algernon Blackwood's interest and why he came to something that is really quite remarkable. You have to understand, uh, if I may say, that Algernon Blackwood was brought up as a Sandemanian. Let let me say what Sandemanianism is. Sandemanianism is not as bad as people who are secular and who are anti-Christian and who tend to be interested in this kind of material – Understand they don't they don't because they've not experienced it themselves they 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 misunderstand the character of Sandemanianism Sandemanianism was a little bit like Plymouth Brethrenism although they would say not but in fact in effect it was like Brethrenism Sandemanianism was named after a man named Robert Sandeman S A N D M A N who together with another man in Scotland. Uh, decided that during the Great Awakening of the time of John Wesley uh, that the Great Awakening wasn't going far enough, and they started a series of very small conventicles, or small dissenting churches, which were uh, very loving, uh, had the Lord's Supper at every meeting, like the Darbyites or Plymouth Rethren, and had a couple of very specific sort of um, teachings. One had to do with, they did not believe in imputed righteousness, but they believed in a kind of notion of faith that was highly intellectual, or Cerebral. I won't go into it, except to say that they were a small, um, very specific brethren-esque uh, group of of people who uh, went right back to early New Testament Christianity, as has always been the attempt, and became um, quite strong among people who didn't want to go whole hog Calvinist, but were not were uncomfortable <coughs> with sort of the rah rah of what they would have uh, uh, seen with john wesley and Sandemanianism actually was born in a correspondence between one of wesley's greatest followers named harvey and uh, Sandeman, and they were often called the glassites now why do i say all that because um young algernon hang on just one second one of the most fun things about uh, PC's podcast, and I absolutely love it, is the when the phone rings. Um, between that and the garage door and other things, it's, this, is, this is natural. I'm living here in a real situation. Um, but um, the uh, Sandemanians were, all they were, were a, a very um, conservative, or you could say very radical. You could say they were really very left-wing version of uh, of the small group in Christianity. And Blackwood was brought up in it. His father was a very committed Sandemanian. Now, it wasn't as bad as we think. It wasn't like Mr. Murdstone or it wasn't, I mean, his father loved him and his father even approved him going overseas to make his fortune or find his way. And his father was apparently actually a fairly good-natured man. He was a postmaster or a civil servant in the postal service in England but nevertheless um, it was a highly defined form of evangelical Christianity and uh, Blackwood reacted very vigorously against it he found it heavy and uh, uh, um, in every sense intolerant to use his own word and condemnatory, and as always, the number one issue. Well, you know what the number one issue always is in cases like this, but he reacted tremendously against the strictures as he felt them as a child of Sandemanian, Sabbatarian Christianity. It's a long and famous tale. Matter of fact, as I said before, Michael Moorcock um, credits or blames, depending on your point of view, the. Uh, the, the supernatural horror story in English literature to Protestant Christianity. He, he sees even those who rejected it like Algernon Blackwood were coming out of a view in which good and evil were in perpetual antagonism. But whatever we want to say, um, he, his, his life was um, forever um, affected by his reaction against um, uh, Sandemanian Christianity or evangelical Christianity. Now, this comes out, and this is where I'm going to end, because it sets the stage for Flowers for Algernon two, which we'll talk about that which um, Blackwood uh, came upon and uh, f- f- found helpful. And by the way, his Christian characters are often very positive, especially in the John Silence stories. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually appears twice at least twice, very very positively, in two of his stories, uh, in an extraordinary way, uh, and three, three, the, the 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 tale of the dog actually, the one is another one. Oh, a werewolf story! I can think of three major appearances of uh, of specific um, epiphanies where Christ saves the day through a man's prayer. So this was not a man who was uh, hot against the origins but he was hot against its mediatorial exponents. And um, he, as a result, he looked in fresh directions, but always um, a deeply religious man, a man who believed in the reality of something beyond simply what he saw. And the story where this is most clearly stated, and it's really something that, that I think is very interesting, is a story called The Damned. And the, the premise of the story The Damned uh, from In- Incredible Adventures 1914 is that there is a house which has been inhabited... By highly um, uh, opinionated religious people who are by nature uh, extremely contemptuous of all others, and they've created a spirit of, of – of, uh, we would call it intolerance, which is so uh, deeply ingrained in the actual house itself that uh, – that there are uh, generations of people locked in the house, you might say, seeking a salvation that was not enough for them. That they're they're Christians or they're Jews or they're Muslims. You all hear the story, but whatever it was that they had was not enough to to save them. That the house is dedicated to salvation. But for whatever reason, the forms of religion which seem to have inhabited this house for many, many years have created kind of a vibe of people who are crying out for a, for a better way. It's, it's an incredible metaphor, and it is, in fact, a better way is given, and you'll have to read the story, and I want to read a paragraph from it. It sounds a little hackneyed, but then I want to say uh, something at the end that really is important, and I think I'll probably go on to, to about 36 minutes for this podcast um a um a uh, woman who's uh, been looking after the house towards the end of the story says um i felt this myself she says i felt the thought and belief of the house's former occupants it's been left behind for there has been coincidence here a coincidence that must be rare now she explains the story of the story the site on which this modern house now stands was roman Before that, early Britain, with burial mounds. Before that, again, Druid. The Druid stones still lie in that copse below the field, the tumuli among the ilexes behind the drive. The older building, Sam Franklin, Sam Franklin is a Sandemanian, slash he is the stand-in for Algernon Blackwood's father, the man who owned this house and terrorized his wife and family before dying. The older building, Sam Franklin altered and practically pulled down was a monastery. He changed the chapel into a meeting hall, which is now the music room. But before Mr. Franklin came here, the house was occupied by Minetti, a violent Catholic without tolerance or vision. And in the interval between these two, Julius Weinbaum had it, Hebrew of most rigid Orthodox type imaginable. So they have all left their... their... well, um... Then uh, there is, uh, she she continues and explains what she means. There results here a pandemonium of striving to escape, of agonized, bitter warring to find safety, peace, salvation. The place is saturated by that stream of thinking, and it has concentrated itself upon your sister and so forth, and so on. Well, um, this is an amazing story in which the damned, instead of people being pagans, or people being murderers, or people being, you know, dreadful commissioners of horrible crimes, or worshippers of the devil, the house is in fact kind of the stones are infected by the cries of people who warred to find salvation, but could never find peace. And, uh, uh, this is very interesting. I was um recently here I uh, I was recently um um down south and I was uh staying uh, with uh in a place that uh is sort of saturated by this atmosphere but in a different kind of format and um saturated forever. And uh hang on just one second. Classic. I think they were calling about a timeshare maintenance. Oh, good heavens. Well, um What has happened is that the um, – I was staying in a place, and I was immediately struck – by the sort of uh, kind of um, d- dead feeling of it I, I I have a long connection with this particular place and with these people and it's no no place anybody would know who's listening to this it was an entirely fortuitous situation but uh, I was struck by the feeling of death that was in the place I, there were some old books that I recognized including some of my own and uh, there was a lot of uh, stuff reminiscent of, of some piety in days gone by but it was as if time had stood still spiritually that is to say Um, And I know the facts of the people involved, uh, tremendous suffering, deep, deep suffering, terrible pain, um, great um, uh, brick walls and uh, defeats and uh, tragedy had been acted out in uh, people connected with this place. And uh, you might say that um, the religion that had been practiced in this place had failed. It it was very sincere. It was full of aspiration. It was full of hope. The people who had practiced it were looking for salvation. That is to say, they were looking for the answers to life's problems. But the format in which the answers had been given, and the place was just laden with religious literature, much of it... uh, really, uh, I, I would say, not helpful at all. Uh, the, the place, there was so much heaviness of what sometimes is called law, so much heaviness of um, iconic symbol everywhere that uh, the, the, the death that I knew was occurring in the people relating to this spot was, uh, was something I could feel. And for the first time, Blackwood's story, which I knew, uh, The Damned, came back, and I sort of felt, you know, maybe this is what he meant because, interestingly enough, uh, at the end of, uh, The Damned, um, we have, uh, this, uh, passage, um, uh, a, a uh, the hero is interviewing, uh, this same woman who had charge of the place, and, uh, did you notice, he asks, anything queer about the place when you were there? Uh, She asks him, actually, and the hero who spent some time there says, "'Well, I found it difficult to settle down to my work,' I I said, after an instant's hesitation. "'I couldn't write anything there.' "'But I thought you wrote that wonderful book on the deaf and blind while you stayed with me,' she asked innocently. "'I stammered a little. "'No, I, I didn't, actually. Not then. I only made a few notes. "'My mind, oddly enough, refused to produce at all in that house. "'But why,' do you ask. "'Did anything?' was anything supposed to happen there? She looked searchingly into my eyes a moment before she answered. Not that I know of, she said simply. Well, the purpose of the story of the damned is to say that there is a kind of religion which is profoundly sincere and deeply aspiring and actually entirely motivated by love. That is the love that wants to find an answer to the problem of malice and hurt and hatred and anxiety and depression and loss and mourning and death. And the result is... um the result is, uh, is, is it, 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 you finally get to a point when it, uh, there and no further, it, it's dead. It, it doesn't go, it doesn't give you all that you're looking for. And uh, Blackwood, who grew up in a stultifying religious situation, which was not as stultifying as he received it as a child. But children can't tell the difference. They, they can't make distinctions. After all, Sandemanianism produced the famous uh, English scientist Michael Faraday. But... He received it as stultifying, and he um, symbolically presents it as a kind of religion that uh, entirely meant well is not able to grant peace and thereby grants uh, uh, paralysis and um, a kind of – And when you read the story The Damned, which is a very, very heavy story, and I don't recommend it, but I I think it's making a point that I've never read anywhere else, you will have um, Blackwood's um, understanding of the kind of law and religion under which he'd grown up, which presented him with the absolute closed door on one side, which forced him, being a religious man, into a – into another kind of understanding which we will proceed to look at especially when it comes to death and life and the issues of eternity thank you very much and God bless I wish I was a spaceman the fastest guy alive I'd fly you Fire way out in space together, compass of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. Every time I gaze into your starry eyes, we'd take the path to Jupiter, and maybe very soon we'd cruise And land upon the moon To a wonderland of stardust We'll zoom our way to Mars My heart would be a fireball